Waukegan reportedly enters the contest to host the Bears Stadium. And I'll talk with Crane's John Pletz about how some companies are thinking about and using chat, GPT, and other AI tools. And they're also trying to develop some guardrails. You know, that's pretty clear as well. They're, they're experimenting, they're playing with it, seeing what they can do, and then also seeing, okay, we know what we can do with it, but we can't just throw it out there, you know, into the wild. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, June 14th. Secure your business accounts and start earning more with a WinTrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you get up to 15 times the standard FDIC personal protection. That's right, 15 times the protection with the liability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833-MAX-SAFE to talk with a local WinTrust banker today. That's 833-MAX-SAFE. Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. I'm joined by Crane's reporter, John Pletz, who recently wrote about how companies are thinking about and using chat GPT and other AI tools. So there's a lot here. And you did some kind of interesting stuff around this story, kind of on a meta level to uh, to kind of prove the points of these tools. But let's dive in by talking a little bit about how some of the big companies in the area are are kind of thinking about AI as, you know, especially chat GPT with just kind of this explosion of users all of a sudden. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, consumer companies that have already made use of AI are, are really intrigued by the opportunities there. And, you know, um, Morningstar, for instance, was one of them. ChatGPT is essentially just, you know, sort of the latest iteration of really, really good chatbot technology. You know, they very quickly adapted it to what they do, you know, which is, you know, information about markets and stocks and, and mutual funds and that kind of thing. And so they basically, they, they married ChatGPT to decades of information that they've created. And, and it was, it was both, you know, kind of fun and interesting, but it also, you know, proves the point that that technology is really good at helping you access information quickly and easily in ways that you couldn't do before with, you know, basic search and other things. You, you sort of had to know how to ask the question and the response you would get, you know, is, is kind of rigid and structured. And what ChatGPT does is it's just amazingly malleable. So you can get variations, you can continue the conversation. And, you know, what Morningstar did, I think, is how a lot of companies are going to use it, which is you apply the technology to your particular data and information and make your stuff more accessible and, uh, you know, just easier to find and, and um you're, you're able to sort of customize it and, and put it out to your customers, you know, with, with a lot less effort on the back end. Another one of those companies is J.P. Morgan Chase. They've been really doing a lot of work around AI for a while. They were sort of restricted, uh, you know, employees immediately from, you know, from using, you know, ChatGPT sort of unrestricted. But they were very interested in really delving into the technology, you know, in that, that broader category of generative AI and, and seeing what can we do with it? What, you know, what sorts of applications are there out there? 
in the beginning, maybe it'll it'll be things that they use internally, tools to help them, rather than something you know that you'll see as a, as a customer right away. But they're very much you know saying, yeah, we you know we've got a number of products in mind. We're looking at them and we're working on them, and we're going to see what we can do with them. But they also want to be sure that those don't create any problems for them. You know, whether it's uh, for their customers or from a regulatory standpoint. So, you know, that, that gives you a sense of kind of the experimentation that's that's going around. There's there's an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes. And, and that's why I think in the next 18 to 24, 36 months, you're going to see some really interesting products come out that we aren't thinking of. United is obviously um, looking at it really closely. Um, they wouldn't say exactly where they think they're going to use it. But I think they're representative of a lot of companies that we talk to. You know, they got a half dozen things in the pipeline. They're prototyping. They're playing with it just like we are, you know, and United is is one of those companies that um, like the folks in financial services, they've applied a lot of technology to that business to just automate things faster, easier, you know, to do what you got to do. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do with ChatGPT. But I think it's a good example of sort of how people are approaching it. You could tell who who had already been doing a lot of work with AI before ChatGPT came along, and they spit out products pretty quickly because they obviously were very familiar with what maybe you could do with AI. And they're also trying to develop some guardrails. You know, that's pretty clear as well. They're they're experimenting, they're playing with it, seeing what they can do, and then also seeing, okay, we know what we can do with it, but we can't just throw it out there, you know, into the wild. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the, the big narrative around it, right? Is like, what are the, what do we not, what do we not know that we don't know, right? What are the un, unintended consequences? So what are those guardrails starting to look like as people are stepping into that? Well, I think you've definitely gotten some, some pretty good warnings about not only the power of what it can do, but also the need for those guardrails. You know, the, the, what, probably the most famous example right now is the court case in which, you know, a lawyer used ChatGPT, uh, claims he didn't really understand the technology. Well, I think it's probably true for a lot of people. And it, you know, it, it spit out a wonderful legal brief uh, full of made-up cases. And I think that's going to give a lot of people pause because you do need to, you know, put some guardrails on it. Like in the case of, you know, Morningstar, a good example of that. One of the most unique features about ChatGPT is that you can keep drilling down and asking it questions. You know, uh, you're, you're having a conversation. In the, in their case, they they wanted to make sure it didn't have um, memory about your sort of history, but also what you'd been asking it because of the risk of personally identifiable information. That's a real risk, and so you see things like that. You got to think about both the possibility of what you could do with it, but also what could go wrong, you know, particularly in, you know, regulated industries. There's been some instances where people are a little nervous about using uh, AI and ChatGPT or, you know, related, you know, the generative AI technology in the, in the cases of doing things like re- remote healthcare. It can access information. It can, you know, um, it's mastered the conversation in ways that are very effective. But you don't always know what answers it's going to bring back to people. You don't know what it's going to tell people. And, and, and I think that's what gives companies pause because it's not clear at all where the liability is. And, you know, that's, um, that, that, that's something that I think uh, people are, are, are appropriately cautious about. 
Sure. Yeah. And it seems like every time we have like a big rush of activity around a new technology or a new platform, there's always kind of this conversation because the technology will jump out ahead of the legal part or the ethical part. And then we kind of, and it's the wild west for a minute, and then the law will catch up to it. Often, it seems like European courts tend to hop on it a little faster than American courts for those kind of regulations. But then we see it kind of catch up because we start seeing some of those unintended consequences catching up to us. And we see kind of some of the damage that can happen. So I think that part, as you said, in 18 months, it'll be interesting to see what people develop. It'll also be interesting to see what has hit courts, what regulation has kind of caught up with it, things like that, and what what consequences we might better understand at that point. I think what's different here is people uh, people who really understand the technology are, are raising some flags. Not that it's going to be like, you know, GPT run wild. Much more of saying that technology can do way more than a lot of previous um, new technologies. You know, the step change is really significant and it's worth taking a moment and paying very, very close attention to what you're doing. People are um, are sounding a bit of a note of caution of saying this could happen bigger and faster. So be be very be careful, be aware, you know, as you're experimenting, um, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah. And it seems like some of the warnings that some prominent voices in that space are issuing are, are pretty some sound a bit dramatic, right? But some sound pretty dire and pretty monumental, really. Like, what are the things that you're hearing that seem like this is a bit of maybe hyperbole? Maybe this is something we should actually consider. What's kind of overblown and just sort of getting caught up in a snowballing narrative? Well, certainly, you know, Sam Altman's uh, warning about, you know, we, the, you know, the, the severity of, of what could happen if, you know, sort of AI goes wrong and, you know, people have been, you know, uh, you know, writing and, and, and theorizing about that for decades, right? You know. Yeah, sure. The robots taking over. Yeah. Right, right. But it is interesting. There are a lot of people very, very nervous about that. Where where you really hear um, I think the most caution, it's less about the consumer facing things. Although, you know, you, you just think about, you know, the the ability of uh, technology, whether it's just, you know, basically e commerce or the web to enable scams, right, is, 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 is pronounced. So when you think about that, you worry, you know, there's this arms race between fraud detection and fraud perpetration that people get really worried about, you know. But where, where it really comes into play, where I, th- I think the most um, dire consequences it doesn't involve a lot of companies, is you hear it um, more when it's applied to things like defense, things like drones, and you get sort of autonomy on the battlefield, you know, we've already, you know, had a couple of decades of experience with this. People sort of think about, okay, if the, if the AI really does get a lot better, what are the consequences? What does it do? And I, I think, you know, the, that's something we're going to, we're going to really have to wrestle with. It was interesting that um, there were people in the industry who were saying, we're probably going to need some regulation here, you know, early. Like that, you know, it was sort of shocking. I mean, that didn't happen with the internet. If you, you know, if you sort of think back, maybe it's just a a function of what we learned over the last twenty years. You know, things like not taxing e-commerce early on, and sort of consequences of that that nobody thought about. I think there's there's some merit to it that that people want to know 
hey, maybe we ought to think about how we would regulate it rather than waiting for things to sort of just happen and saying, all right, can we put the genie back in the bottle? And then there is how it applies to our industry. So as an experiment, you, for this story that you reported, and to be clear, your reporting is your reporting and your original writing and all that, but also separately asked ChatGPT to write a brief summary of how Chicago companies are using that technology. And there's an example that people can find at chicagobusiness.com. How do you feel ChatGPT did to write a competitive version of your story? Something that... um uh, Chris Hammond actually uh, told me he's a, a, an AI expert at Northwestern, uh, founder of an AI company here in Chicago called Narrative Science. And so he knows that technology um, about as well as anybody. And he said something really, really interesting to me. And he said, you know, generative AI um, knows words. It doesn't know facts. And in fact, he's got this great example um, <laughs> on uh, his website at, at Northwestern about asking um, you know, ChatGPT to, to write something. And I, and I think that's the takeaway. It is really good at helping you just sort of get words out about something. But what we do is, is journal is, is journalism, you know, it's, it's gathering information, verifying the information and then writing. And that's, and, and that's probably the difference, but it can, it can spit out a lot of information you know, that's that's why we're, where you see, um, you know, the biggest focus is perhaps in academia, writing reports that, that are, are relatively generic. And if there's a lot of information out there, you know, what what will come back from um, GPT is 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 really good and, and nuanced. Um, if there's not a lot of information out there yet, it becomes more theoretical. But, yeah, it, you know, it's able to write something about anything. And that's sort of, you know, that's sort of the power of it. I, th- I think it's it's less of an issue for what we're doing, which is providing very specific information, providing a news, things you don't know, um, and pulling together, you know, examples about Chicago companies. It wasn't, um, you know, about, uh, you know, how GPT, you know, is being used generally. And so... You know, where I think the bigger impact is, and you've already seen some of this play out, is on um, copywriting, whether it's, you know, ad copy or, you know, a blog post, where it's much more generic. People are already seeing, you know, the impact of that. How much can you turn over to a bot? We know what it looks like today. You know, it's pretty generic, um, but that doesn't mean in the future it doesn't get a lot better. That's right. It will be interesting. All right. Well, again, uh, folks can find ChatGPT's version of the answer to that question at chicagobusiness.com, along with your reporting about it. Thanks so much, John. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby says the company is offering pilots a contract with a value over $8 billion over four years. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Want to dive deeper into the topics you've heard about here? Read the full stories and get access to all of Crane's award-winning coverage with a Crane's Chicago Business subscription. Crane's Daily Gist listeners can get 20% off a one-year Crane's Chicago Business digital subscription by visiting chicagobusiness.com slash subscribe and using code GIST at checkout to redeem this offer. So be sure to visit chicagobusiness.com slash subscribe and enter code GIST to get this deal while it lasts. 
This is the Cranes Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Waukegan has made a pitch to the Chicago Bears to host the team's planned stadium development. That according to WTTW correspondent Amanda Vinicky. Per a letter from Waukegan Mayor Ann Taylor's office to Bears President Kevin Warren, tweeted by Vinicky, the city is offering multiple large parcels to the team, including lakefront property that could be turned into a new stadium and entertainment district. In the letter, the city touts its proximity to I-94 and Route 41, along with having a stop on Metra's Union Pacific North Line and access to Waukegan National Airport. The move comes after the Bears heard a pitch to develop their stadium site in Naperville, opening the floodgates to hearing pitches from other municipalities around the Chicago area. The team announced they were no longer solely focused on building their combined stadium and entertainment district site in Arlington Heights. In other reporting from Crane's John Pletz, Grubhub has laid off 400 workers, or about 15% of its workforce. The company said in a written statement, quote, After much consideration and evaluation of our business, we have made the difficult decision to reduce Grubhub's workforce by 15 percent, impacting approximately 400 of our corporate employees. The statement went on to say, quote, These changes will enable Grubhub to invest in the growth of our core business and better position the company for long-term success. But as Pletz pointed out in reporting, the online food ordering and delivery provider is just the latest tech company to announce layoffs in an effort to rein in costs. Also pointing out that layoffs hit technology companies early, a surprising turnaround for a sector that has been among the strongest performers. Pletz also noted in reporting, citing state data, that the cutbacks have been widespread, with Walgreens cutting 504 jobs or about 10 percent of its corporate workforce next month in Chicago and Deerfield. Tyson Foods is cutting 228 jobs in Chicago and Downers Grove, and in Livent, a Chicago-based nursing home operator will lay off 284 workers at support centers locally. And Parsec is scheduled to lay off 434 workers this month at an intermodal shipping facility in Elwood. Also according to state data, layoffs are heaviest in manufacturing, and layoffs overall are mounting even as employers continue to hire. Nationally, employers added 318,000 jobs in May, but the number of weekly jobless claims hit the highest level since October. Illinois employers continue to hire, adding 56,200 jobs, a nearly 1% increase in April, according to the latest data available. Crane's sister publication, Automotive News, reported, citing the Indiana governor, that General Motors will build its fourth battery plant, its first with joint venture partner Samsung SDI in northern Indiana. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb said in a news release that GM and Samsung SDI are targeting the start of construction east of New Carlisle within the next year, and said that production is expected to begin in 2026. New Carlisle is roughly 80 miles east of downtown Chicago and about 15 miles west of South Bend. Automotive News noted that it's unknown if the proposed plant is one Illinois officials were hoping to land. Earlier this year, state lawmakers approved a deal-closing fund meant to help lure EV makers and other manufacturers to the state that Governor J.B. Pritzker had asked for. 
Last week, Cranes reported that Governor Pritzker had recently been in negotiations with multiple companies, one reportedly European, the second Chinese, and the third of unknown origin, about bringing an EV battery plant to Illinois. Cranes has since reached out to Governor Pritzker's office for clarification as to whether or not the GM and Samsung plant was on the state's radar. But GM proposed spending $3.5 billion on the Indiana battery plant project according to documents filed with St. Joseph County. And the governor's office said that it is expected to create 1,700 jobs. The plant will use nickel in its prismatic and cylindrical cells, which GM has said will give it additional form factors for its upcoming EVs. The new Carlisle facility will have more than 30 gigawatt hours of capacity when open, bringing GM's total U.S. battery cell capacity to roughly 160 gigawatt hours. Government leaders in St. Joseph County said it's the largest single investment in the county in 75 years. GM has invested more than $7 billion in three Ultium Cells battery plants with former joint venture battery partner LG Energy Solution. The first in Warren, Ohio, has begun production. A second plant in Spring Hill, Tennessee, is expected to open this year, while a third near Lansing, Michigan, is expected to open in 2024. Automotive News noted in reporting that the new Carlisle area had previously been at the center of a potential fourth EV battery plant for GM and LG. Talks with LG broke down, though, leading the automaker in April to form a joint venture with Samsung SDI. St. Joseph County approved an incentive to eliminate GM's real property taxes for 10 years and personal property taxes for 15 years, though the company would pay $4.5 million annually for a decade toward infrastructure costs. That, according to the county, and a separate state incentives package is also being finalized, GM confirmed to Automotive News. United Airlines is offering its pilots a contract with an incremental value in excess of $8 billion over four years, a figure that would make it the richest deal ever for a mainline U.S. carrier. Bloomberg reported that the company is negotiating weekly as it tries to reach a formal agreement with the union. That according to an interview Monday CEO Scott Kirby had with Bloomberg News. He reportedly didn't detail the value of the pay, benefits, and quality of life improvements included in the proposal, other than to say it would top the recent deals agreed to by its two biggest rivals. Bloomberg noted in reporting that the labor talks have increased pressure on United even as it benefits from soaring demand for leisure travel, with no sign of a slowdown in trips that mix personal time with work. Kirby reiterated that what he described as a business recession is keeping corporate travel as much as 25% below 2019 levels, but said he expects a full recovery. Kirby said United has incorporated expected labor expenses into its guidance despite not having an agreement. Pilots at United are set to vote on whether to authorize a strike. Such a vote doesn't mean pilots would strike immediately, but would give union leaders approval to call for a walkout if one is authorized by the National Mediation Board. Despite the uncertainty, United's shares have rallied 36% this year through Monday, the largest gain in an S&P index of the five largest carriers. Kirby also told Bloomberg that United won't take part in any effort to reduce the requirement that most pilots have 1,500 hours of flight experience to get a license to fly large airlines. Those with military flight experience or who graduate from specific aviation schools can get licensed with fewer hours. Supporters of a push to change the rule have argued that it hasn't made flying safer and that reducing it could help address the shortage of aviators that's plaguing the industry. However, Kirby said, quote, trying to make complicated arguments that you can cut out the number of hours and make it safer isn't a winning argument today. 
He continued by saying, so we're not trying to change anything about the 1,500-hour rule. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, John Pletz. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.